Amen. Well, hello. My name is Penny, and I am the pastor here at Christ the King Presbyterian Church. And I am glad that we can be together to open God's Word. Though we are not physically together, I'm thankful that we can join with one another through this virtual service. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. In just a moment, the passage will be uh, displayed on your, uh, on your device in front of you, and so you can follow along there. But we'll be in John chapter 20 this morning. We're taking a break from our uh, regular sermon series in the book of 1 Samuel. And we're taking a break. We're pausing because, well, after all, this is Easter. And so it is appropriate and it is good and right for us to take some time and to focus our attention on this central aspect of our faith that Jesus is resurrected, that he is risen, that the tomb is empty. And so before we jump into this passage, I, I do want to just say that, that it was my desire, it was my hope that we would be able to be together. That when we were first quarantined, I was hoping that we would be able to join together this day to celebrate, to sing, and to come to God's word. But obviously that is not the case. And I long to be with you. I long to see you to put my arm around your shoulder, to hear your voice, and for you to hear mine. I long for that day, and and that is one of my prayers. One of my prayers during this season, and, and I would invite you to join with me in praying this, is that the Lord would actually increase our longing for that day. That he would increase a desire, stir in us a hope that that day will come soon, so that when it does come, it will be all the more sweet. We can be together and hear one another's voices as we sing and as we pray and one day again commune around his table. But until that day, we wait. We wait and we come to his word. And the good news is that God's word is powerful regardless of proximity. His word is powerful. It is enabling us to follow him. And so we're going to look at John 20 this morning, and I'm going to focus our attention at the end of John 20. The very beginning is recounting the early details, the the details of Jesus' resurrection, but the end of chapter 20, it focuses on Jesus' conversation with one of his disciples, Thomas. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. Jesus, the resurrected king, engaging with this doubter, Thomas. So let's go ahead and read John 20, beginning in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand, excuse me, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we ask that you would stir in us new affections, that you would deepen in us hope and love, joy and peace, and that you would allow our voices to join with the voice of Thomas in saying, my Lord and my God. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've all heard the phrase, it's just too good to be true. We've probably all uttered it as well, right? It's too good to be true. We've said that, we've thought it, we've maybe even proclaimed it very loudly when we've been invited into something that is beautiful, to engage with something that someone is promoting that, that just seems too good to be true, right? And oftentimes when we experience the good, the beautiful, the wonder, the awe, when we experience these sorts of things, we, we often want to believe that they're that good. We want to believe that they are so true and right. But deep down inside us, we start to wonder, is it just too good? Is it too good to be true? We know what this is like. I remember shortly after Kat and I were first married, we drove from Greenville, South Carolina, where we were living at the time, and we drove to Atlanta, Georgia, to watch the Atlanta Braves. And we went to go to this Braves game, not because I'm a Braves fan, far from it. I, I rejoice when the Cardinals beat the Braves, but, but we weren't going to see the Braves. No, we were going because of who the Braves were playing. On that night, they were playing the San Francisco Giants. And I'm not a Giants fan either, but, but at that time, the Giants had a player on their team that I had always wanted to see live, Barry Bonds. From 2001 through 2004, Barry Bonds put together four of the greatest seasons in Major League Baseball history. He was hitting home runs at, prolific, at a prolific pace. He was batting for average. He was driving in runs. In fact, in 2004, he had, he had stirred so much fear in the hearts of his opponents that they intentionally walked him 120 times. They didn't want to pitch to him. He was too good. And I remember sitting in the right field bleachers at Turner Field, and Barry Bonds was up to bat. It was his first or second at bat, and I remember leaning over to Kat and telling her, we will never, you and I will never see a better baseball player than him. 
But if you know anything about Barry Bonds, you know that he was too good to be true. Because a few years after that evening, when I finally got to see Barry Bonds play, the whispers of performance-enhancing drugs became shouts. And what would, had only been assumed became all but certain. He was too good to be true. And you know what this is like. We've seen it with athletes. We've seen it with leaders. We've seen it with those who have promised the good and the beautiful and the right. Right? We've seen them show us and declare to us that they're going to do what is in the best interest of all people. But then we find that, that they're corrupt. They're liars. That what is beautiful is actually ugly. That they're too good to be true. And we become skeptical of the beautiful. And we become cynical of the amazing. And so not wanting to be naive... We assume that anything that is very good is probably too good to be true. And I wonder if we do this not just about the things around us, the things in our world, but I wonder if this mentality starts to bleed into how we view God and how we think about the Gospels and what we think about Jesus and what we think about resurrection. I mean, is resurrection too good to be true? I mean, think about Thomas. This disciple of Jesus, this one who had been with him. I mean, what is his nickname? In the gospel, we're told his nickname amongst his friends was the twin. But how do we remember Thomas? Not by the twin, but with the name that he will carry for all time. Doubting Thomas. Why does he doubt? Well, let's look at this doubter. Let's look at why he doubts. Well, first, let's consider what we know about him. We actually know very little about Thomas. We know very little. In fact, other than the Gospel of John, the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, only mention him by name. It's only in John's Gospel that we hear his words, that we hear his questions. So we don't know much about him, but we do know from his words that he was probably brave and courageous. Because in John chapter 11, he said to the other disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He was prepared to die with his Savior, with Jesus. So he was probably courageous. We also know that Thomas asked some good questions of Jesus because there was a time when Jesus said that he was getting ready to go and that he would show them the way. But Thomas asked the question, Lord, we don't know the way. What is it? And that prompted Thomas, excuse me, Jesus, to respond, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He asked good questions. We know he had also been with Jesus. He, he had heard his teaching. He had seen his acts. He had walked with him. But when Jesus appeared to the other disciples, Thomas wasn't there. We don't know where he was. We don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't in that room. And so he didn't hear Jesus say to the disciples, peace be with you. And so he doubted. But why would he doubt? Well, have you ever wondered? Have you ever thought? Have you ever maybe said aloud? In times of uncertainty, in times of concern, in times of doubt, 
Have you ever thought or said, if, if only I would have been one who saw Jesus. If only I could have seen him with my own eyes or I could have touched his hand and he touched my hand. If I could have only heard his voice with my own ears, then I would never doubt. Then my uncertainties, they would melt away. I would always be firm. I would always stand true. Have you ever thought that? Of course you have. I have. I have. But think about Thomas. He had heard Jesus' voice. And he had seen Jesus with his own eyes. And he had touched Jesus' hand. And yet he still doubted. Why is that? Why would he still have trouble believing that Jesus was alive? I mean, even this one who saw resurrection, he had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and he had seen Jesus raise the widow of Nain's son, and he had witnessed Jesus heal the centurion's daughter. Thomas had seen resurrection, but now when it is Jesus that is resurrected, he is having trouble believing he doubts. Maybe for Thomas, Jesus' resurrection was too good to be true. And so he says in verse 25, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You know, a number of years ago, when I was at uh, my previous church, I was talking to this little girl one day who is a part of our church. She was maybe five or six at the time. And I was talking to her about the gospel, about Jesus' death and his resurrection and, and the amazing beauty of his grace towards us that our sins are forgiven because of him. And we were talking about this and asking questions and dialoguing back and forth. And finally I said, well, well do you believe this? And she said, yes, I do. And then she turned her head away from me. And she said, but you know, sometimes I wonder if y'all are just making this up. (laughs) And I put my head down, and I smiled, and I think I audibly laughed like I just did a second ago. And I loved her honesty. I loved her question. And so then I assured her that that this isn't just all make-believe. That her pastors and her parents and her friends and all those other people that were coming to church with her every Sunday, that, that this wasn't just something that we had concocted. It wasn't fabricated. It wasn't a lie. It wasn't a myth. It wasn't fairy tale. But it was true. But I wonder. I wonder if some of you are like that girl. You wonder, maybe this is all just make-believe, right? Maybe, maybe the resurrection is too good to be true. And so we come up with ways to try and explain the resurrection, right? Jesus never really died. There's a whole theory called the swoon theory. He didn't really die. He was just kind of unconscious, and they stuck him in the tomb. And after a little while, he, he got well and healthy and strong enough, apparently, to move away a big stone and club some guards and run off, right? Like, he hadn't really died. Or maybe, maybe the disciples made it up. They just concocted this elaborate story. 
Or maybe the resurrection is just a metaphor for the endurance of love. Right? You've heard these words of doubt. Maybe you've uttered them yourselves. Because maybe, for you, the resurrection seems too good to be true. But you know, for all of Thomas's doubting, Thomas isn't left in his doubt. He's actually moved from doubting to believing. He's moved from being a doubter to being a believer. Look at verse 26. Eight days later. Okay, let's just stop for a second. Let's pause. Eight days. So think about that. For eight days, Thomas sat in his doubt. And maybe with each passing hour, with each passing day, his doubt grew stronger. Or maybe it actually grew a little bit weaker as he heard the the recounting of the disciples, his friends. But for eight days he waited. Now that might not seem like very long in the grand scheme of things, but, but wouldn't we expect Jesus to show up the next day? To appear again? I mean, like, what was he doing for eight days? We, we don't know. I mean, what was he saying? Who was he interacting? We, we don't know what he was doing for eight days, but what we do know is that Thomas had to wait eight days. And so I can't help but wonder, maybe Jesus, maybe he isn't very threatened by our doubts. And so he lets Thomas wait. Well, let's pick back up. Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and put it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. This is beautiful, isn't it? I mean, it's beautiful the way that Jesus interacts with Thomas. This one who's doubting, Jesus doesn't chastise him. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't explode in anger at him. No, he, he knows the questions that Thomas has asked, and he answers them. I mean, did you see that? The very things that Thomas said, Jesus addresses. Thomas says, unless I see in his hand the mark. And Jesus says, see my hands? Thomas said, and place my finger into the mark of the nails. And Jesus responds, put, put your finger here. Thomas claims, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And Jesus invites him, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, disbelieve, but believe. You see, in the exact ways that Thomas had expressed his doubt, Jesus meets his doubt, and he challenges his disbelief, and he calls him to believe. And that's what Thomas does. He exclaims, my Lord and my God. Thomas believes. He believes, not because he thinks that Jesus' resurrection is just going to make him feel good. He believes not because he thinks that Jesus' resurrection is going to get him through the trials or difficulties or that this is some metaphor for a better way of life. No, Thomas believes in Jesus' resurrection for the same reasons we are to believe. Because it's true. Because it is true. So do you believe? It's at this point where you may want to say, but but Penny, I haven't seen Jesus' marks. And I haven't touched his hand. 
and I haven't seen the resurrected Christ. And of course that is true, and neither have I. Jesus' resurrection was a historical event thousands of years ago. But simply because we haven't seen him or touched him doesn't mean that the resurrection didn't happen. I mean, we believe lots of things to be true and to have occurred that we didn't experience ourselves. And in fact, our belief in Jesus shouldn't be predicated upon us seeing him for ourselves. For Romans chapter 10 tells us that faith comes from hearing. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're told, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And Jesus ends our passage by saying, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now listen, this doesn't mean that there aren't good and strong and rational reasons for believing in the actual, bodily, literal resurrection of Jesus. There are. And if we were in any other season of our world than we are right now, I would say, let's get together. Let's get coffee. Let's get lunch. Let's get breakfast. If you have those questions, let's talk about those things. But we obviously can't do that. So instead, I'll say, email me. Let's set up a call, let's Zoom, let's look at one another's faces, and let's talk about the reasons why we can have good assurance that Jesus truly did rise again. That the grave really was empty because Jesus lives. Because, friends, he does. You see, Thomas, he put aside his doubt when he touched and he saw. But for us... Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And when we believe, we're going to say with Thomas, my Lord and my God. Listen, friends, you don't say my Lord and my God to a dead man. And you don't say my Lord to an idea or a metaphor. And you do not say my God to a concocted, falsified story. No, you say that about a resurrected Savior. And that's who Jesus is. He's not only the one who on Good Friday took our sin and God's judgment upon himself. He is the one who has defeated death and hell and the grave. He is the Lord. And so, friends, this Easter, this day, let me invite you. Put away your cynicism. Put aside your doubts. Because resurrection Resurrection, it's not too good to be true. No, Jesus' resurrection is absolutely true. And it is very, very good. Amen. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that the tomb could not contain Jesus, but that he is risen and he lives even now. And he dwells in your presence. He sits at your right hand on the throne, reigning and ruling as our risen, as our living Savior. And so I pray that you would put, help us to put aside our doubts. Help us to not question your goodness, but instead help us to rest in your resurrected love that is on display in Jesus. Help us to trust in him, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. 
Amen.